Well, did you see, um, dude? Did you see Joey Burrow this week and Matt Stafford? I did. What the heck? I, you know, let me tell you. Let me tell you how much it hurts being in a Kansas City Chiefs area when please they please lose. Tell me, please tell me how much it hurts. It, it, I had three customers last night. Ouch. Yeah. Whereas I had like 40 last week. Well, last week was a complete, I don't know what happened. And I feel bad because my saying of the markets pulled a Pat Mahomes last week, that did not age well whatsoever <laughs> because the markets did not make a nice comeback last week. And two, Pat Mahomes didn't make a comeback this week. So I'm so zero for two. Works. Maybe it was actually perfect. Yeah, so maybe actually, well, yeah, maybe like, you know, as that aged, it made sense. You know, it just they kind of- It, it made it, more it sense. Kind of, yeah, they met the demise in unison. About right. <laughs> you know? Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to Drunkonomics, the drinking podcast with an economics problem. Isn't it? It is. <laughs> and by looking at the VIX today, finishing up just shy of 25, what was 2483, I think, I am yep. your more gracious host, James Goldwater, joined by my th- three weeks running, four three, weeks running now? Three weeks running. I mean, three it weeks barely running? dipped below 18 for that one week. That's true. The, my less gracious host, Aaron Wong. Yeah, January has not been How a good going, month buddy? for me. I, dude, not good, man. You sound so gleeful right now. I don't know what your glee well, is. Well, it's, it's because I'm feeling gracious. Yeah. No, January oh. hasn't. I, I think January's not been good for really anybody. It's the worst <laughs> trading month since March of 2020. Yeah, I know. So I hope you all bought some puts. Not that I would have told you to buy puts for January, but you know, I'm just saying. Let's put it this way, folks. It's February now. Well, hopefully the markets start to make more sense. That's what I'll say. That's how I'll say it. But if you want to track where I'm at, where Aaron's at, and what we're thinking of markets, you should check us out on our social medias. You should check us out in the metaverse at Drunkonomical on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Not part of the metaverse. Yes. Let's see. D-R-U-N-K-E-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. Nice. Wow. That was very good, James. That was awesome. I think that's the first time, that was guys. Awesome. Yeah, I'm drinking to that, dude. Nice. Cheers, man. That was great. Cheers. I'm so proud of you, It only dude. took two years. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Yeah, we're approaching our two-year anniversary. I think that's the reason why the markets are down in January is because we haven't reached our two-year mark yet. You know, But here we are. Coming up on our two-year mark. Almost yeah, there. I mean, our birthday Our birthday is what? February 20th, I think? I the 28th, because we recorded and then it went out. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm days. pretty sure it, it came out on the 20th, two years ago, but I don't know. It was right before, it was right before ironically, the worst month, you know, the worst month. In the la- yeah, <laughs> then the worst yeah. month in January, yeah. But yeah, that's um, us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We also have LinkedIn. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. Form stuff. I guess I guess Facebook is our longer form stuff too. And then we also started a blog on Wix. Man, it's uh, have a Wix. Yeah, I'm not proud of it yet. So I mean, check it well, out I at mean, your own. I mean, give us some time com- to get it going. But but we promise we're going to have some more written material to expose a little more of our thought process and a lot of the things yeah. that we're reading. All I'm going to say about our um, blog right now is uh, caveat emptor, right? Which means behind beware. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was so cold. No, it's. I, I, Trashing ourselves, um, you know. So yeah, whatever. To be fair, I mean, yeah. You'll yeah. also find uh, a link and invite to the Discord on any oh, of yeah. our social medias, and in the Discord, you can join us where we have you can join yeah. other drinkonomists and econoholics, other listeners to mm-hmm. have a good time, just feeling killing, talking about general things, asking us questions. Yeah. And, also, um, real quick, I just want to say I don't know who it was that bought Vix calls in our not financial advice drinking channel, but whoever you are, congratulations. That's all I'm going to say. Congratulations. So, but, congratulations on I mean, buying It's been calls. an interesting week. And speaking of someone who, I don't know if anyone here is in Turkey or especially in the Turkish government, but we desperately need to get Recep Erdogan listening to this because at some point we need to explain to him that no matter what he says yeah. about lowering interest rates to combat inflation, it won't work. It hasn't worked his entire presidency mm-hmm. and it won't work now. Yeah, I, I don't know it's, what's, I mean, like, you know, so he's saying what? He's going to lower interest rates because he thinks that's going to help the inflation problem in Turkey, yep. which I'm sitting here reading that. And I'm just like, dude, James, should I tell him? It's, should should it's, I tell him? Like, it doesn't work like that. Here's the problem. It's like, you know, he's doubled down on his rate policy. He's always wanted low rates. I know he and has. So now he's, he's fired everybody he's, that's rich. That's he's fired everyone that's, that's not given it to him. Yeah, it's even hinted at raising rates. And, and he said it, but he, so but he said it door. again yeah. the other day. He said it again this weekend that um, wow. he, he wants rates lowered again. 
And, wow. and when it happens, inflation is going to fall too. He's certain. I, that, that just makes no sense. That really, I, I can't believe how little sense that makes. I, not even little. It's like a negative amount of sense that that makes. It's like that that Jets fan that just thinks Joe Namath is the best quarterback of all time. It's like that. That's just oh yeah, no. Well, he, also, and this is so. In December, he did make another comment. He said essentially that he's gotten inflation down to four percent before, and he'll do it again. And and all I can think to myself is, okay, maybe, well, but you're not going to do it this way. Yeah. Um, to me, like it's not even like a broken watch is correct twice a day. This is just like the, the watch is so broken, the hands aren't working. Can't read it. Yeah. The hands aren't working anymore. Yeah. This guy's a fool. Yeah. Well, you know? so and not only that, Sorry, now man. he's now he's decided, and this is the thing, he's now decided that, you know, you've often hear the expression there's there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Yeah. So he fired the head of the state statistics agency this weekend, the 29th. He fired them okay. just the other day. So that's fun. Because it showed that last year's inflation was 36.1% in Turkey. So, so let's get rid of that guy. He's also, yeah. <laughs> and this is to be fair, he's, he's he's also fired three central bank governors since July of 2019. Wow, it is um, it is his belief that high interest rates cause high inflation. It, it, see, the opposite is going on here in the U.S., right? Where the Federal Reserve is like, okay, inflation is completely not transitory. Uh, this is a real thing; it's here to stay. Now it's trying to combat inflation. Mm-hmm. So the FOMC had their meeting last week, and we all—I mean, literally since you know, speaking of our Discord, our Discord has been insanely quiet since that meeting. It has been. I was surprised by yeah. that too. And. Is everyone doing okay? I mean, just I'm, I'm seriously asking because I care about you guys. I want you guys' stocks. You guys, I, want, I hope all your guys' stocks go to a million dollars. Like anyone because, that listens, because I have you. I have you know. all you guys know. Aaron and I are sitting. I'm sitting down watching CNBC on Wednesday, texting Aaron. Whole, yeah, we're texting back for the whole time. That's what we were doing. We were just texting back and forth the whole meeting, and I'm just like. I read the statement when they put it out and I was like, that might be the most dovish thing I've seen in a long time. What are they thinking? And so markets shoot up and then, and then Powell yeah. gets out there and puts the kibosh on it, just puts yeah. the hammer down and suddenly markets start to slide. And I'm like, well, well I mean, it was, I mean, but it really wasn't coming? like the, the statement really wasn't that hawkish. I mean, it was no, just, he wasn't it, sitting it was here like, saying we're emergency raising rates right now. Like what I'm, I guess what I mean is yeah. the, the statement that was released was a lot more dovish than I was expecting. Yeah. And then the state, and then his, Q&A session, his answers. I mean, it was like, okay. I'm just going to be honest, be honest with you. Like this, I, I don't think the statement seemed that dovish. And I also don't think like his tone was that hawkish. Like, to me, it just, it, it seemed pretty neutral. But I think the markets kind of saw one thing that signified a dovish tone right away. They're like, oh my God, this is great. More liquidity. Let's, you know, to the moon, everything. Or longer liquidity. Let's get yeah. on it. Yeah, let's get on it. Let, you know, hurry up, let's buy. And then, and, and then, then eventually. He gets to the Q&A yeah, and it's but, like the DJ at a wedding. All right, I'm going on break after this song. So. Yeah, but I mean, everything was, <laughs> okay. everything was about adapting to the economic or adapting to the evolving economic environment, which I'm like, dude, that could mean a million different things. It could. And, and I think you had, I think you had the optimist get in there initially. And I think you had the pessim- I think what happened is you see the market start to go up and it wouldn't shock me if people who were more hawkish who are looking and expecting rate raises in that 50 point rate raise in March like yeah. me and they went hey this is a pretty good price to sell at yeah and I get it I get the rotation I, I get the profit taking I, I get all that and to me what happened with with the stock market in January was really just like you know when you go to the bar sometimes and you just drink way too much no you know? Oh, okay. (laughs) I was going to say, I've been there with you, man. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there with you, man. And and sometimes, you know, your mouth gets a little bit too open or I don't know, your, your filter is gone. And you start saying whatever you want. Yeah. You know, you start becoming really generous. Hey, this shot's on, this shot's for everybody on me. Like that happens a little bit more when you're a little bit drunk. It tends right? to. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of what, what, what the market was doing with like this. They got a little bit too drunk. They got a little bit too happy. A little too euphoric, a little too wild. Yeah. They started talking a little bit too much, you know, maybe they insulted somebody. And then, you know, you get to that point in the night where you, you know, you really just talk too much. And the next thing you know, you say something about someone's kid. You buy a girl a shot and turns out her boyfriend was in the bathroom or so. I don't know. Right. Something like that. And then you get clocked to the face. Right. It's happened to all of us. I don't know. Maybe you're perfect. Yeah. I'm no, certainly it, not. So you have that little but, correction, that correction. Yeah. Behavior. That yeah, correction. That yeah you, that, get, you get hit in the face. You know, your ears are ringing. Maybe they clocked you so square that your, you know, your tears, you know, your tear duct got busted. Oh, your, your, your pain water. Yeah. Your pain water. Right. And, but you kind of have that moment of realization going like, okay, whoa. Uh, I was kind of beginning to dick back there. To, I need to calm down a little bit. Right. I should probably, I should yeah, probably call an so Uber. The, He's yeah, back. I should probably call an Uber and, and just, just, you know, just, uh, just taper, right? I should probably just taper. Just taper so, off. That's fair. Yeah. That's not unfair. Taper? I hardly even know her. But yeah, uh, I think that's just, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
Risky. Sorry, that was really bad. I mean, maybe it's stuff like that that I say that makes me get clocked in the face. I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not unfair. That's, I think the I think the markets are starting to calm down. I don't I don't quite understand. So today, the thirty first, I don't understand the the big swings, those positive swings that I saw in the markets today. Yeah, it, it's in steamrolling the, in the, the close. They, yeah, yeah. I just I guess I just don't I don't see a reason for it. And I and I, and I realized the other night because I was talking to someone and I and I realized that I while I'm quite bearish on the short term because that's what yeah. I see. I'm just see I see. Based on everything I'm seeing, I don't, you know, it doesn't, I don't understand a three and a half percent, you know, climb in NASDAQ. I don't understand a one and a half point rise in the Dow or percent rise in the Dow or right, the S&P. I mean, the only I mean, thing I'm a, secu- I, I'm a secular bull yeah. in U.S. markets. They're going to go up because the, of course, the economy too, is strong. Yeah. But right now I'm like, you guys are running into a minefield or you're, you know what I mean? You're yeah. running in the dark in a place that we know has gopher holes. Well, and this like, is the this thing is how about you break the, an angle. And this is the thing about like the stock market in the month of January, which is unlike anything I've ever seen before, I guess, even though since March, <laughs> I guess really since March, but even then, like there's a reason in March, yeah. March made sense. March, there was a sh- pretty strong catalyst. I would say, I mean, I don't know if you remember what happened in March of 2020, but uh pretty strong catalyst for why the markets reacted the way they did. But right now, I mean, the economy is stronger than it's ever been. It's been since March of 2020, I should say, you know, mm-hmm. labor market is extremely strong. You know, unemployment rates low job participation is coming back. It's not quite what it was before, but it's coming back, you know, slower than I'd like, but it's still coming back. And the stock market is acting like in the opposite direction. Or they're acting, it's like this inverse relationship, you know what I mean? Between the stock market and the economy, because the economy is starting to come back. And the stock yeah. market's going like, okay, we're, we're losing a little bit of steam. And maybe it's a lot of day traders retiring. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. To me, going back that's to possible. A real job. It doesn't help that cl- there may actually be a lot of indication that that's correct, given what happened to Robinhood when they reported well, their numbers. Uh, yeah, but I personally think Robinhood and the reason why their numbers are so weak is I think everybody's leaving Robinhood and going to firms like Schwab, Ameritrade. Yeah, they're going to better tools. So yeah. you know, but the thing is, we'll see eventually. Like we'll see that. So if we see that like Robinhood goes from fifty million accounts or whatever they were at hundred million accounts to fifty, and then we see that Schwab's up twenty and TD Ameritrade's up 30 yeah. or, or up 25 and Coinbase is up five. Then it's like, oh, okay. It's they're moving to different brokerages to do different things. And so that makes sense. That would be, that would be understandable, but I haven't seen that data data yet. I have yeah. seen people leaving Robinhood. And so it's like, okay, I know they're leaving Robinhood. I don't know where they're going. Yeah. So it's possible that they're totally leaving markets. Although I don't think that's likely. I don't think that's likely too, but I, you know, that was the concern about Robinhood when they became a thing was their graduation rate. Like a lot of times when you become when you trade your way to have an account that's big enough where you can actually day trade, which is that $25,000 benchmark and a margin account, you know, a lot of people are going to firms like TD Ameritrade where, you know, Thinkorswim, the charting platform there is is much more sophisticated and extremely powerful and intuitive. Yeah. So people are going towards those platforms because they want to understand different technical trends on a much deeper level. And I don't know if Robinhood does offer that. Maybe they do. I, I, it's possible. I don't think they I, do. I think it's too gaming. I yeah. think Robinhood is too gamified. The times I use Robinhood, I mean, like, I, I had no idea where to pull up, like, a MACD histogram. Like, I, like where do you find, yeah. or the RSI, like, where do you find that stuff? What do you do the Fibonacci? I've never seen yeah, what do you do so Fibonacci? It's, it's I, I, those, and maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe I just couldn't find it. But, it's probably just not um, offered. I, yeah. My guess is it's but just not offered. it's right there. It's it's yeah. easy font. It's, no, it's, it's an easy font. And, and that's the thing, is eventually people who want more technical data who need more technical data, who need to recognize or who eventually realize I can't just do this blah, 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 yeah. and look at, oh, I'm making $20 a share over what I paid, blah, 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 that's my gain. They start looking at, okay, well, when can I start projecting and looking at different gains? When can I start creating um, you know, highs and lows? When can I yeah. start creating different points? It's all intuitive, all connected, yeah. and, you have to, when, and you have to move to a more, a more technically adept platform. Yeah, when can I, and that's, yeah, and that's the thing is like entry point, intraday entry points. So that's really hard to say. Intraday, intraday entry points. Entry points. That's, I never, I I never saw it on Robinhood. Yeah, I don't think it's easy to find on Robinhood. But like on Thinkorswim, it's just like, do you know how to use these technical trends? If you do, you can figure out better entry points. I'm not saying they're, I mean, technical analysis isn't like a sure thing. It's, you know, it's, well, but yeah, uh, that, that's, that's my review on January. That's the way, when I look at January, I, I'm just like, you know what? The markets were having too much fun and really not just January. It's really just since Thanksgiving, really, you know, Omicron came out. I think Omicron was really the market's getting punched in the face. And they spent the last two months going like, you know, I was kind of being a dick back there. I was kind of, you know, now I need to reassess. I was out of control. Yeah. Now, yeah, now I need to reassess and just maybe I need to go apologize to some people like Bill Hoang. Yeah. And, no, it's, and it doesn't, I mean, <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. I would have said COVID has been a great reason yeah. for things to slow down for a very long time. Um, not a reason, well, not it, COVID to me is not a good reason for markets and houses and housing to be at all time highs. <laughs> I'll say that's just yeah. me. 
what do I know? Yeah. What good do you to, know? Good, is that good things should, good markets should be reflective of great economic times, not, you know, a basic, a, a, essentially a, a bubonic-esque plague or a Spanish-esque plague. Well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. But I mean, one of the things we talked about when we first started was this inverse relationship between the markets and the economy. And it's still like, it's the inverse, but yeah. opposite direction now. The, the economy is recovering, and for a while there, they were kind of acting in lockstep. Yeah, they were starting to, they know. were starting to make more sense, and we and we kind of assumed maybe we're going to have to just look at a different multiple. Yeah, we're just like, yeah, this is, suddenly because trading multiples have accelerated. Yeah, markets were getting more expensive. Markets grew faster than the economy after coming out of the pandemic. Obviously, I mean, this, I'm not a genius by saying that, but mm-hmm. you know, that started happening. The economy is still growing, probably better now than it was two months ago. And here we are. The markets are in correction. So I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, yeah. Do you guys think February is going to be a good month? It seems like everybody on CNBC that I saw today, at least, they're yeah. all saying that February is going to be a, a massive comeback month or something like that. I don't know. I think that maybe they just brought all these bulls on as guests. I don't know. Or maybe it's yeah. actually going to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to invest in. I'm not here to tell you this is the best time to buy. Um, you know, every investment has risk. So, you know, not financial advice, just saying a lot of bulls think this is a great entry point, um, but they've been saying that since November and the bulls that have been saying that since November. Um, yeah, no, I think, right I think, so, I think yeah. you're definitely right. I think, I think they, I think maybe they had all their hawks on, all their bears were on last week on Wednesday, because as I was watching like the reactions to uh, people listening to the questions, then afterwards I was like, where have these people been for the last year and a half? Because they're speaking my language. I know. Well, um, I mean, because last week the sentiment was markets are allowed to go down. They're allowed to go down, which they should. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Markets. I mean, you got to create buying opportunities anyways. So like, I mean, when markets go down, when do you want to buy anyways? You want to buy when markets yeah, are down? And, or, and, and, you know? and then saying markets get to go down. And that's the thing is I, I think there was a missed opportunity in March of 2020 to let markets go down. You yeah. know, we can't, it's no point rehashing it. But my thing is yeah. housing prices shouldn't go up. I, I think they, I think they cut rates too early. I think they, they protected their constituents, not their voters. And that's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting point, but yeah, no, that they have well, bulls on, they have bulls on today. They have bulls on saying February is going to be the best month ever. My response to that is maybe it will be uh, at the same mm-hmm. time. We know there's a rate, we know there's a rate hike coming in March. So, yeah. so, and speaking of which, so what's his name? Yeah. The guy, uh, Atlanta. Bostic. Bostic. Yeah. So Bostic was saying what a 50 basis point rate hike, which is pretty, I mean, God, that's, I don't know. That sounds pretty steep. It's pretty drastic. So the Fed hasn't raised rates in more than quarter increment since 2004. I think I read. Really? It's been that long. Um, Well, I remember they raised, since they raised rates. When was the last rate hike? More than 25 basis points. Do you remember the last rate hike? Last rate hike? 2018? It's, it's got to be 2018. I think so, yeah. Because it was because they were cutting them in 19. Yeah, which, I mean, and this is what I don't get about the rate hike in 2018, was that, that was a much needed thing, was a, that, yeah. the rate hike at the end of 2018, and that crashed the markets. I mean, that talk about a buying opportunity. That which, was a which, great you know, yeah. and, and here's what I'll tell you. If the markets can't survive a 25-point rate hike, a 25 basis point rate hike, there's something fundamentally wrong with your market at that point. Yeah. So you sit here and you say like, oh, we have a, we have this amazing bull market going and then you raise rates and suddenly everything grinds to a halt. It's like, no, something's wrong. Yeah. So so for me, what I've looked at is I've looked at, so they're saying probably 50 points in March, 50 basis points in March, which I said last week, that wouldn't shock me because they need to do something to arrest inflation. Um, I thought you you said that because, I mean, you were on the, uh, you were on the hawkish train for a long time. I'm still on the hawkish train. I I know, but I'm just I'm prefacing the fact that you're currently on the hawk on the hawkish train by saying that you were on the hawkish. You've been on this train for the last mm-hmm. four years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I got a I got a ticket a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. You you bought that in your glory days in uh, undergrad when you were playing rugby. Yeah. And I and you know I'll be honest. It's a it's a good train. Um, <laughs> Do they call it the gravy train? But they don't. Like Pink Floyd. Uh, <laughs> Okay. No, the, um, so the issue is the opposite of the gravy train. It really, it, well, sometimes <laughs> gravy so, ruins so. the ruins the meal. It, too um, much gravy is not a good thing, right? Yeah, too much yeah. gravy is soup. It can lead to cardiac arrest, ah, no, it, which, you know, talk about arresting inflation. Here we right? go. No, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, last week, I, yeah, I, I was saying that we, I, I think I, we were joking with someone on Instagram and I said, hey, put me down for 50 basis points in March because they got to do something big. 
And yeah. you know, even even Wall Street, even Wall Street's starting to say that. I think they, I think I saw that fit, they they've priced in. I think fifteen percent chance of a fifty basis point rate hike in well, March. Yeah, what I mean. So they looked. They I remember seeing something on CNBC, and it was like each bank's guess on how many times they're going to raise rates this year. And they're and up to some, five now. Some of them, I think Bank of America said seven, but and then most of them said four. Some of them said five. Some said three. I don't know who the doves are, but like, my thing is, I, I think that the general consensus I've seen is five kind of across the board. The average is five. Oh, I still th- I th- it's I like, thought it was four, but I know. I mean, f- well, four was but, four was what they were saying before the Fed meeting this last week. Right now they're saying now it's up. Well, now we think it's five. Well, but if they do, if, I, but if they do 50 basis points in March, do you think it's still going to be five? Or do you think the people that I say, do. so do you think they're going to do 50 I basis think, points and then four more 25 basis point hikes prob- the rest of the year? Probably. But then if you look at what Bostic said, Bostic said, if necessary, 75 basis points is not out of the question. Yeah, but he, he's been jumping back and forth. I mean, because when did he issue that statement? And he did walk that back today. Yeah. He did walk that back today when so, he said that he didn't, that he, that wasn't his preferred position. Yeah. It was just, it's possible. Exactly. But then you've got. Um, well, but the first thing he said was. 50 basis points, most likely in March, or that wouldn't surprise me. And then today it sounded like he was a little bit more certain that 50 basis points was going to be the thing. And then he said, well, but if they do do 50 basis points, let's see how the, the we don't know what the timeline is after that because we don't know how the then markets are going to react. Know what the timeline is yeah, after we don't that. know how the markets are going to react. And you know, who cares about the markets? We don't know how the economy is going to react. Actually, we do care. We I mean, do care about the markets. Look, the people that long VIX calls care about the markets. Uh, but anyways. Well, but then, but then you've got, um, <laughs> Aside from the fact we've got Lael Brainerd in there, we have Drum Pal, two known hawks. Yeah. We have uh, us not saying this stuff. And then the- I think we're seeing that the, the Fed, the FOMCs, the Federal Open Market Committee, they're together on a hawkish train right now. They're just trying to figure out how hawkish they're going to have to be. Yeah. Because um, you've got um, Richmond Fed. Uh, President Barkin came out and I guess what was it he said today businesses that don't uh, care about a 20- oh, the business the businesses will approve of rate of rate increases that they want yeah, that. I, I mean I have and a t- I have a really tough time believing that just personally I have a really tough time believing they that. probably don't want they probably don't but, want rate raises but they want they want inflation curbed and they I understand and that, no, that makes sense thing is they understand that's what they have to do yeah so no that that. 100% makes sense that they want inflation curbed. But what I don't understand is like, dude, if you're a business and you need to take on a loan, like why do you want interest rates to go up? That just doesn't make you sense. Don't. No, so that's, and so, so, but that's what I think what he's saying is they want, they know inflation needs to be curbed. And if rate hikes are what it takes to do it, yeah. they're all about rate hikes. And the thing is, I can understand where he's coming from because doesn't, doesn't Barkin have a background in banking? He so, does. That's, yeah, that's, so, I think that's his. So if you're in the business of loaning out money, I don't know if he does. I mean, if you're checking, kudos to you. But if you're in the business of loaning out money, like the last thing you want is to loan out money. And then when you get paid back, that buying power is decreased because of inflation. So I understand where he's coming from. Uh, he was a management <laughs> consultant. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. He was the CFO. So he's oh. an accountant. <laughs> oh, close enough. Well, I mean, well, but, I mean well, he, has, he has an economics degree, but he was the CFO of the firm. Okay. Well, I mean, my premise of what I was trying to say is who does inflation hurt the most? It hurts lenders. So well, yeah, I was going to say inflation easily. really hurts I mean, poor people. But I was going to say, okay, um, yeah. It's I, what I mean, hurts the most. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it hurts poor people the most, but, but what business also, is most affected? Like, yeah, it's, on, it's on gr- yeah, in a grand scheme, yeah, yeah. So, I think that's where he's coming from. Is the the fact? Yeah, you know, no, like he's small business banking. Yeah, yeah. It can be painful. You know, mm-hmm. It's an interesting, so, interesting times we live in. Yeah, very interesting times we live in. Um, a couple other news things that I saw: uh, retail sales dropped in. December, yeah, one, two, almost two percent, um, including online, which was kind of a surprise for me. So th- that's why I don't get like what. So did no one buy anything for Christmas? I mean, I know well, I did it, I, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a terrible friend. I think but. I think what we may have gotten to is the point where it's it's because supply chains were so snarled that people yeah. bought in November, and by the time December came around, they were like, "There's no point in buying because it won't be here till February." Yeah. And so they didn't, or the prices were out of control. So they were like, yeah. No. And I think, it, I, I think we saw headline after headline after headline saying, okay, inflation is here. Supply chain bottlenecks are, are here. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. So if you want to buy something for Christmas for your friends, buy them now in November. So I think, yeah, Start I think, buying, yeah. So I, think that's a, I think that's a great point that you make there. I can't believe, they, I mean, they dropped a lot though. I mean, it was, is that year over year? 1.9%? Mm-hmm. God, that's, I mean, that seems really dramatic. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, well, I don't see any other reason for it than inflation and, bo- and, and supply chain bottlenecks. I, I think so. I want to be pessimistic about the economy on it, but what it boils down to is if you go to the store and there's nothing and, and what you're looking for isn't there, you're probably not going to buy. You're going to wait until you can buy the thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. And that makes, so that's, that, that happened. Um, I'll say this PC, I just want to throw this out there real quick. PC, which a lot of people say is another core inflation metric. 
to me, PC is like almost the same thing as CPI. I, mean, um, I don't know. Really, I don't really know what the difference is, but it's like the same thing. PC, I, PC I, I just, takes. I know. So one of the things they do is they not only take pricing. They they not only have consumer sales, like they don't have consumer sales data from consumers. They also have pricing data from sellers. So it's one of those things where they're trying to account for inflation in a different way. And um, they can also do it specific to, they can look at specific inflation month to month on the same good, on the same like category of good. I I thought CPI did that too. CPI looks at the same good, like used cars, beef. It does, but it isn't able to account for inflation in the same way. So whereas PCE, I'm, I'm able to ask the sellers each time, okay, so you spent, you received more money. Did you raise your prices? Yes. Okay. Let's account for this. Okay. As opposed to with CPI, we can do that, but we have to take basket year and we have to say like, okay, we have to convert back to a different year's dollar. Yeah. See if it's actual growth in units or growth in price alone. Yeah. Whereas PCE can do that a little faster because it doesn't, do, it doesn't depend on a whole year. It's done month to month. Yeah. It has, it has other problems though. Is, yeah. is that I mean, it, is it, it takes GDP into account and GDP is reported quarterly. Yeah. So well, another thing like, too, well, like, I mean, CPI has problems too. I mean, CP, CPI, I think it's leverage, leverage against tips and, uh, and inflation swaps too. So, I mean, there's, there's problems with both metrics, right? None of them are perfect. Yeah. But they're both the ways we use, like, I mean, we measure inflation looking at PCE and CPI. CPI gets a little bit more attention. It, it, they're kind of like, it's kind of like uh, my, my twin and I, right? Like, I, I got more attention as a kid because my brother kept getting hurt all the time. So it's kind of like that, right? Is this I your mean, way of saying you hurt you know, your brother as a child? Hey, you know, if he can't prove it, did I, I you know, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> Nate, <laughs> did, he, did he hit you? Hey, hey, seriously. He put, on those, he, yeah, he put on those track clicks himself. So, I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah. So, the growth pretty much at the same pace. Like, if you look at the CPI and PCE graph, it's it's almost the same. The CPI is just a little bit more exaggerated. Like, it's, well, it's almost uh, the uh, same. So, I, I bring this up. What I would say is PCE is, is, um, is consumption and mm-hmm. final consumption, whereas CPI is how are prices changing versus how is consumption changing? Oh, so that, that's okay. kind of like a... That's that's the big one. That would be like the big one. Is okay. So I've got. I still don't. Consumer- I, I still don't quite get it. But I mean, I mean, we'll elaborate probably a little bit more next week. I don't know. But we will. Yeah, I bring this up because and PC I think is household. It's mainly just focused on household consumption, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it doesn't really take into as much uh, consideration business expenditures. I think I don't. I, I don't quote me on that. But I say I bring up PC because it's like I said another big way they measure inflation, and it's at its highest levels in forty years. It hit five point eight percent. And I think that was well above expectations. I could be wrong. I don't know what the expectations were. I think the expectations yeah. were five point four percent. I I don't know. Or they might have they might have well, been five point seven percent. But all it tells I mean, me is people are spending more money on personal consumption, right? So that's it tells me that in in association with other data we have, so the fact that meat producers are posting record profits yeah. and uh, other factors is and other increases in food prices is that. Food is more expensive now than it's been. Energy is more expensive now than it's ever been, and transport is more expensive now than it's oh, ever oh, been. Oh, and that's oh, that's I think that's another big thing too. Is I th- it's one of these whether it's CPI or PCE, one of them actually includes labor costs, and I think that's it might be I think it's PCE that includes labor costs. It is. C- so CPI is essentially yeah. out of pocket expenditures on goods and services. That's it. Oh, and it's yeah. So data, that's, and and that's and that is data sourced from surveys of households. So oh, okay. PCE instead uses data from GDP reports and then suppliers. So suppliers, hey, what did you sell this period? Um, oh, so it's actual okay. records instead of surveys. Okay, so I guess that's, that's a big difference, right? So it, the PCE does include labor costs. Labor costs are up four percent, or they went up four percent over the course of twenty twenty one. Which I mean, I mean that was kind of called for. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I think we agree that people <laughs> the Great Resignation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's called for. Yeah. So. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I really wanted to bring that up because I feel like that's a key. I mean, retail sales. You know, it's, it's a good it's an indicator. pulse. Yeah, it's a good pulse on the economy. Uh, on top of that, PCE. However, the hell they measure that. Also, a good pulse on the uh, on the economy and inflation as well. Another good pulse on the global economy. That's I don't know. Is really made up. Arbitrary. Is that is that a word for if it? If we're talking about what I think we're about to talk about, this is one of the most arbitrary things that yes. has ever existed, and it died today. Okay. If we're talking about LIBOR, yes. Right? So the London Interbank 
overnight rate? Is that what that oh, is? That's interbank offer rate. Offer rates. Gosh. That's, it's been yeah. a while since I've been in finance class. I'm sorry. Well, when I hear OR, I always think overnight rate too. Yeah. So, and I know like, it, it was something that was brought up a ton in, uh, in finance class. Yeah. And it, essentially the oh, yeah. definition of it is, you know what an interest rate is? Okay, good. You know what an interbank rate is? Okay, good. This is well, the interbank this, rate that matters. This is the global interbank rate. So, yeah. yeah or it was. So, it as was. of- When as it was of, alive, yes. As of January 31st, 2022, it is no longer that. Now, I read that what they were planning on doing is it was gonna it was gonna take till like June of 2023 to fully move everything over to the new rate, which is the SOFR, the Secured Overnight Financing Rate. So SOFR. You know, so that's what they're gonna be teaching SOFR. in the finance textbooks now. When that is that is what that's, about like. So for those of you who are out buying the new um, finance textbook in the summer or the fall of 2022, LIBOR will not be in the, well, if the LIBOR is still in the book, you have the old edition. You have the old so edition. thank God for the publisher. So, he desperately needs the money. Yeah, I know. Um, I was going to say, I was getting worried about him. He probably got crushed by yeah. the markets in January. So margin call after margin call <laughs> for that guy. Something like that. So LIBOR, what LIBOR was, is is like, as, as Aaron just said, it's that benchmark interest rate for global banks. So mm-hmm. so international banking. Yeah. It, it took its name, obviously, from London, uh, this is which when is London where, was the financial capital of the world. This is what, I mean, well, not really. Libor's, was, Libor's only been a thing for about 52 years. I thought it was set up like the 20s for some reason, but okay, whatever. Okay, so I'm an idiot. All right. Yeah, so what is Libor? I mean, I, I know when I took international finance, it was a big thing. Libor was a huge thing. It, it's been five years since I've taken international finance, so I don't really remember. So um, Intercontinental Exchange. ICE, yeah. Yep, ICE. Every day they poll major banks. So I think I think the number was sixteen the last time I looked. But um, huh. every day they poll they poll these banks and they ask them, "What do you think you're gonna have to pay in interest to borrow money from a different bank? What do you think? How much do you think it's gonna cost you to borrow money? That's how it works. That's how is it, it works. But is it? But what, on what level? I mean, is it like uh, like what do you think if you had to borrow from America or just like if you wanted, if you had to borrow from anywhere? Uh, essentially, it's if you had to borrow from this bank. Now they'd use five currencies. So they'd say U.S. dollar, yep. Euro, pound, yen, and Swiss franc. Right. Yep. Checks and out. They ask overnight or spot rate. Right. The one week rate. Um. One. Th- one. Two. Three. Six. And twelve month rates. So what's it going to cost you Let's to borrow? Out. Yeah. Yeah. And they would. Um. So they would, and from those, they'd be able to calculate 35 different rates every day, right? So it's the, it's the seven different, seven different t- like time periods Plus and the, the five yeah, different currencies. Across five currencies, yeah. Across five currencies. So you have 35 different things. They're then able to take those numbers, find an average. They find an average by removing some of the high end, some of the low end to discourage people who are really pessimistic and people who are really Pollyannic. Uh-huh. And they say, okay, boom, they take the, they take the, the ones in the middle that they want. They take an average and they go, boom. And that's the, and that is the LIBOR for that day. So now if you're trying to go get a loan and you've got that LIBOR rate, what they'd say is you have whoever you're getting, whatever institution you're banking with mm-hmm. has whatever their rate is. So they'd say, okay, it's a, a mortgage. Yeah. Okay. The way we do mortgages is we do one and a half percent or we do two and a half percent plus LIBOR. Yeah. And then maybe they'll move around whatever their base rate is based on credit history, income verification, things like that. But mm. it was just this rate tacked on for them to be like, this is what we think we're going to have to borrow money at in the future if things go if things, squiffy. If, if, we, well, you know. if things go, yeah. right? Like, I mean, but it was used, but so these interest rates, so the, so the LIBOR was, is the basis for consumer loans or was the basis for consumer loans uh-huh. on everything. So credit cards, car loans, mortgages, and, the, and what changed the rates on those loans was the, the differing opinions of the banks feeding the numbers into LIBOR. Well, I mean, so so what's the global consensus on LIBOR? Do people like it? Do banks like it? I, 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 um, I can't presume why they why they would like it. It's, you know, it seems like an extra tax. I think, they, I think the banks kind of looked at it and they thought, well, it gives us a... A benchmark kind of? Yeah. It, it's just, okay, look, yeah. we, we have a benchmark. These numbers are probably pretty accurate because if you're going to sit here and say, what's it going to cost me to borrow money? If I ask you, how much do you think it's going to cost you to borrow money? And you say, I don't know, 2%, just because that's a number that's in my head. What I'm really hearing from you or what I might be taking away from you actually is if I'm borrowing money from you, you want 2%. Oh, yeah. So So that makes sense. It's probably how it started something like that. If, If we know what you're willing to pay to borrow money, we probably have a pretty good idea of what you're going to loan money at. So it was started by the BBA. In the uh, in the eighty well seventies, yeah. but it was really formed in the eighties. Why, why was the it, issue? So I always thought, like when I took portfolio management, the risk sure. the risk free rate was always the U.S. ten year. Yeah, there were certain there were certain periods because, like, obviously, there's more than one risk free rate that people use to kind of like this, this is the benchmark, right? So uh, your risk premium, you want to get 
like if you want to get a 10% return, this is the risk profile that you will probably need. Like I, there were certain sections and chapters I remember in the curriculum that did use LIBOR as the risk-free rate. Yeah. So, so, I, so it was I, I essentially it, yeah. when we say risk-free rate, it's just the rate we expect to pay. Yeah. Right. That's about what we're yeah. So the issues with- um, Well, and, and so, on top so, of that- your return on equity or your return on investment is really like, so if you buy a stock for $100 and a year later it's $110 and you sell it, now that, that's, that's a 10% return on investment. But you also have to subtract, you know, because finance people always do this. You have to subtract the risk-free rate. So yeah, what did I actually gain? Know, because if I put my money in the risk-free amount, this, this is, is what, what I, I actually got. So, I would have gotten. So maybe yeah. I would have gotten 2% there, but I got 10. Yeah, so I, got 10 real, I would have gotten $2. I got $10. So I actually gained eight. Because yeah, so your real return is 8%. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. Think of it what you will. Yeah, this no, is this what they teach in finance. So, and then a lot of times when you, yes, when, they, when they look at international securities and um, international finance deposits and all that kind of stuff, they use LIBOR. But anyways, yeah. So just or they used bring. LIBOR because LIBOR, like we said, is, is, now, it's dead. It's been, yes. So as of today, it's, it's, it's dead. It's being it's phased dead. out. It'll be totally gone by June of 2023. It's dead like Tom Brady's um, football career. Yeah. So, so um, and what's really come down to is there's, <laughs> there's, there've been two essentially, um, there've been two issues that really brought it down. And the first one is that there was this idea in the accusations that major banks were rate rigging LIBOR rates. Whoa, how, so they would, how could they, they do that? I mean, that's just so uncharacteristic of them to do something like that. So manipulate I, rates. So here maybe, here maybe is a throwback to our conversation about why we should have, um, why, we, why Glass-Steagall was a good thing and why we should have separated our, in, our investment banks from our commercial banks. Oh, Hang on. Well, is that uh, is that when these banks were reporting what their, their, their rates to LIBOR in many cases, they took into account what their traders wanted, right? Well, uh, and would submit artificially low LIBOR rates, right? So the traders could keep making money at the rates they so thought they, they could make money. I presume LIBOR was supposed to be like a, a very, like strictly a commercial, a commercial rate, right? Yeah, but, like, if I'm, but if I'm investing in things rate, right? that are back, that are LIBOR-backed securities, if I can control the LIBOR I like rate, they, I feel like a lot of banks and I'm invested to. in the security, uh -huh. If I can, if I can invest in it and keep the rate low on a security I'm invested in, my profits go up. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, that, yeah, no doubt. So I, I can understand their incentive to want to keep the LIBOR rate low because if they want to borrow money to invest in a certain thing and, mm -hmm. they're, and they're not sure on that timeline, yeah, of course. And that, that's what that saying. But the, but but the thing about Glass de Gaulle is that it's it's only in the U. I, I, I like I said the big thing. Sure, it, was, it, it isn't is that it's fair. It's, it's not fair to U.S. banks that everyone else gets to play this game and the U.S. banks don't. I would argue, however, that if everyone else, if every other kid in class was slamming their head into the brick wall as hard as they could, and you're the kid that doesn't do that, that's probably a good thing. Even if the kids are all laughing about the the release of endorphins initially because of yeah, pain. but if all the other kids you know, if, if all the other kids are posting those videos on TikTok and making a million bucks a year, you know, I'm I'm just saying that's that's the way you got to look at no, it too, I, right? So hey, I I agree that and that's maybe the most accurate way to respond to that is you're not slamming your head into the wall and hurting yourself, but you're also not making the million dollars a year that you could be on TikTok doing this. Maybe that's okay, fair. Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> Thank um, you. Now the issue, the real <laughs> issue comes for them. Uh, for LIBOR in 2008, because obviously um, yeah. they did not help credit uh, the ease issues during 2008 with the credit crisis. So you have one, they're keeping rates artificially low for a very long time, Naturally. allegedly, right? So, and then suddenly, well, I mean, I say allegedly, they they did well, do it. It happened. Yeah. So, so, two, so 2008, what happens is suddenly these same guys who've been keeping rates artificially low, some of them woke up and went, hmm, this isn't good. And so you started seeing the LIBOR rate just shoot through the ceiling. These guys sitting here going, and part of it's confusion. I don't know what I'm going to be able to borrow money at in three months time. Maybe instead of them being like, I don't know, two tenths of a percent from another bank, maybe they were suddenly like, I don't know, 4%. Uh -huh. So you see the, 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 the LIBOR rates just suddenly start shooting through the ceiling as these, as what? the guys at Barclays, ICAP, Rabobank, you know, Royal Bank of Scotland, UBS, Deutsche, in 2000 all of them. Uh, during, the, during the financial crisis, they started to. Oh, uh, yeah, but, um, but that's yeah. when all the adjustables kicked in, right? Mm -hmm. So, but all these okay. banks, all these banks post two thousand eight, it was discovered that yeah, they had been keeping the rates artificially low pre that point. So, they, th those banks that I just named all paid fines. And, okay, and have, yeah, and have I think I've other, ever seen that. And, and um, other other punitive actions were taken, and employees uh, in some cases were fired. Uh -huh. So. But the, um, so I think since 2008, the LIBOR, that was kind of, that's kind of when their credibility and reliability have really started to be, 
kind of on trial. Yeah. Right? So, so, so I feel like it probably should have been before that, but anyway. Yeah. But, so, what we, so what we yeah, saw in the past 2008 was we saw that there was an increase in regulatory reform globally. And um, mm. what they've essentially said at this point, and, and, I, and I think it's right, is that they said banks can't be trusted. To uh-huh. set the, to set their own rates because this is what happens. I mean, they listen could, to their traders. They keep rates low so they can make more profit, and then suddenly, when it's not to their benefit, they go, they lose their minds and they go nuts. So it's it's maybe this isn't something that we can trust to the free market because the free market will will rob Peter to yeah. pay Paul. Well, I feel like I mean, it's um, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you could have just ended the sentence at banks just can't really be trusted. Well, that too. So starting in two thousand eight, well, really kind of starting in two thousand twelve, we start to see articles being published by traders who worked in the bank saying, this is how we did it. Like flat out, I told the people doing the Libor numbers, this is what I needed them to do. And they listened. So the, uh-huh. the, the fraud started to become apparent. And what happens is that you start to see, um, so in 2012, the British Bankers Association transferred Libor to UK regulators to control uh-huh. it uh, so that it wouldn't be just something that in their hand privately. You would see scandals in Libor continuing after that fact. And eventually it gets to a point where they just go, you know what? This is no longer a valid basis for setting interbank rates. Yeah. And so- well, And I feel like, I honestly feel like the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve uh, of the US, I feel like that's more so becoming the benchmark yeah. as far as interbank rates. It is. I, and I don't know. Um, so why did they get rid of Libor or why did they want to get rid of Libor? So what really happened is, so, so why did this happen? So you have these, you have these Libor rate rigging scandals in pre-2008. Yeah. You have 2008 crisis. You have them raising their rate, their overnight rates because they don't know. Yeah. Afterwards, you hear, you see these people coming out of it saying, this is what we did. This is how we rigged it. You know, there's a reason Frank Abagnale works for the FBI and is and was such a useful yeah. guy to them is because he was the criminal. And so when the criminals come out and start going, this is how they do this. This is how this is how a con man operates. This is what they're doing. It takes one to know one kind of It does. You know. And when they come out and say, this is how I do it, it's a pretty good thing to say, well, probably should stop that from being able to happen because if that can happen, then it, it will. Uh-huh. So it turns out that what they found is in 2012, they found that a dozen financial institutions have been faking their data and fudging their data to make profits using LIBOR-based in the LIBOR-based derivatives market, yeah. right? Wait, so so, so uh, real quick, I just want to pause right here. Libor literally, sure. they come up with rates because they just kind of like what you said earlier. How much would you expect to pay? How much for a loan? Exactly. How yeah. much do you think it'll cost you to borrow money? So that's that's how they've been doing in it in dollars. Yeah. in three months. But the seven different increments. And yeah, then, and yeah. seven okay. different time increments in the five different yeah. currencies, and, the, and each bank would answer all those questions. Yes. and they would take it. They'd eliminate the high bids, the low bids, and they'd take the middle bids, and they'd take an average of those, and they'd go, "This is what we're setting for today." Gotcha. Okay, so so we've seen now that there's a huge downside to letting the banks set their own rates because they can yeah. they because they're rigging the system in their favor. Yeah, because they're because they're all saying, um, "Oh, I don't really expect very much anymore." You know, twenty five basis points. Yep. And I'm so lucky, the next thing is right? we see this increase in banking regulation globally, a lot in the U.S., but but also globally, and this increase in banking regulation decreases the amount of overnight lending, right? The amount of mm. the amount of interbank borrowing and lending, right? Yeah. So. At this point, people continue to look at LIBOR and they go, it's less reliable now because there's there's less money and there it's occurring less often. So the numbers are going to have to be a lot more variable, right? Yeah. Because now the market's, it's it's a little harder to price. So it's it's not something that we're seeing every day. It's something that we're seeing less frequently. So it's a little harder to do. Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens now is all these banks, you know, the, a lot of the, the global community of banking decided, well, we need to find a new reference rate then. Because if this reference rate is... Is one prone to fraud and two, but going to become mm-hmm. less uh, accurate even even now? Then we need to address that. We need to find a new rate. And so, in 2017, the Federal Reserve formed a committee, a committee of several large banks, to find a a, yeah. a uh, essentially a new reference rate for the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, let's react to this. I mean, like, so I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. Part of me likes that. This new interbank rate between international financial institutions, major international financial institutions, can't be manipulated by private businesses. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I believe in private businesses a little bit more than the, than the federal government. But I don't believe in big businesses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't. I don't trust big businesses. No, because they generally don't. Yeah. Do what's. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll rational. Yeah. I'll trust. Or, or they do what's I'll, rational, but it's not always to the benefit of everyone. Yeah. I mean, I'll trust a small business owner, but I'm not necessarily going to put my life in the hands of Elon Musk. Let's say, right? So, like, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of the general consensus of people. Yeah. Which, like, which is why the SOFR rate. So this. Um, 
Yeah. So secured overnight financing rate, I think is a good um, mix of the two because what yeah. they did, so what the, what the Federal Reserve did is it got together a group of major U.S. banks and it yeah. said, look, what rate do you want to use? What do you want to use? And they came together and they said, okay, we want the SOFR rate. So it's, it is a rate that is controlled by the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So, right. So there's no way the banks can manipulate it that way, but it's the well, one they allegedly, chose. So essentially, allegedly. Well, you know, so. Yes. So essentially what's happened is the banks went, or the, the government, or the Federal Reserve went, here, you know, which of these rates do you want? The banks went, we like that one. It's yep. like, okay, so we're going to control the rate. That's how you want to do it. Cool. We'll run go, this. Yeah. You guys use it. Let's make this work. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, so all dollar denominational um, yeah. derivatives and stuff like that. Which I mean, so, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's the most used, is it the most used currency or is it the most spread out currency? Yeah. In the world, it's or, the most or both. I mean, it could be both, honestly. Yeah. So, um, dollar-denominated contracts are now all based on the SOFR rate. Okay, as of, nice. um, well, they have till technically 2023 before that's before that's the only rate left. Yeah. But um, as of today, British banks no longer have to report LIBOR rates. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, so I mean, my, my reaction is really just this: like, I to me, like, I don't trust big businesses. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't trust mega caps. Um, just because I think no. their hands are, yeah, but, but it's because I don't trust the federal government. What's good for Walmart and isn't what's good for necessarily a community. Yeah, but what's good for Goldman Sachs isn't necessarily what's good right, for yeah. the United and I, States. And I feel like what we've seen in the U.S. and I think I, I think this is really just globally, but like I think people just don't trust big government and they don't trust big business. Well, when they're big and, enough, I mean, eventually they're the same thing. Exactly. So I think essentially what's going on is they're going from this this interbank rate that was big business. And it's going to mm-hmm. another entity that is trusted less, or uh, d- depending on which side of the aisle you're on, just trusted I less mean, te- or more. Technically the, fe- technically, the Fed's a private corporation, but I know, um, but but still, it's but it's run by the government. It's run by the government. It's so, run by government appointees. Like, it's, it's, so it's run by bureaucrats, that's, that's whatever. These- yeah, I mean, it, like what I'm trying to say is like it's going from it's being controlled by one thing. And I'll be honest with you, I actually kind of like this better because I think I mean. Libor was arbitrary, anyways. Like, who cares? Like, no, nobody cared yeah. about Libor. Um, as, as cynical except, as that except sounds, the people really, that were, really, except for the people that were involved. As most people didn't know what Lib- most people do not know or did not know what Libor exactly. I, was. I guarantee you, if I go to the gym right now, right, if I had just asked people what's Libor rate, I don't, I don't know what it is, right? No, I don't think anybody knew what it is. But if you ask people, what are they, what are interest rates at right now? Like, a lot of people would be able to tell you zero to twenty five basis points, mm-hmm. but. You know, so I'm not totally against this. Like, but I, to me, it's like, what difference does it make moving forward? So, I, I mean, I guess that's my big question: is what's what what difference does it make moving forward? So, I think what it to me what it'll be is we're gonna have a we're gonna have a base rate for our contracts and for our loans that makes more sense. That mm-hmm. is, and most Americans will love this one. Oh gosh, from the United States. Oh, oh goodness, people were affected every time you borrowed money, credit card, whatever it was. It affected every single thing. Yeah, and you didn't know it. Probably didn't know it. Yeah. And the fact that it was being manipulated should upset you. Now, the fact that it was being manipulated low it should probably, actually, I mean, probably on, doesn't make you too angry, but, but rather than the other way. But right. the reason they were doing it is because they were trying to make money, right? So well, they never make money. It's just, it's literally just boost liquidity. Boost their so, profits. I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's, but it's liquidity in the, long, in the long run. It's just liquidity, right? Because yeah. in the economic cycle, we, we need moments where we can pump liquidity up and you know, shrink liquidity. Absolutely. And I don't know. I feel like banks love liquidity, but at the same time, they also like receiving higher interest rates. So I think, you know, I, I think the Libor is just kind of banking too much on that, right? They're, they're banking on banks realizing, okay, in this economic cycle, you need to shrink liquidity. Yeah. Right? They, you, they expect yeah, you need your buying power to, they, to be preserved. They, so, ideally, what Libor would do is that in an ideal situation, that all the banks involved with LIBOR would see that something isn't sustainable and would start to phase to higher rates naturally. The problem is, is in economics, is if one bank decides to be a Brinksman bank, yeah. it, it makes more, it can make more money in theory. Now, yeah. if all the banks decide to be Brinksman banks, they can all make more money in theory. But then you suddenly see rates just shooting around volatile, extreme volatility, right? Yeah. So it'd be like, you know, LIBOR rates in 2008 were going through the roof. It'd be like if the Federal Reserve called a meeting, an emergency meeting tomorrow and decided that they were going to raise 100 basis points, interest rates 100 basis points <laughs> right, yeah, February just, 1st. It'd be, yeah, abs- like, it'd be like, 
Oh my God. And then, and then on March, in March, when they realized that wasn't the way to go at the, at the normal meeting, they are actually going to lower it 75 basis points down yeah, to 25. And, and, and then, and then a week later they go, oh, we're going to raise basis. We're going to raise it. You know, it, it's, it's that inconsistent, like just chaos well, of up, down, up, down, up, well, it's down. It's this like, okay, we need to suck out liquidity. So no one's borrowing right now. And then, oh my God, people are actually still borrowing. Now we need to pump it back in. Right. So it, it's that cycle of, you know, wow, now we just, now, now we owe so much money with, with so much interest. Now we need to refi, pull back interest rates, borrow on low mm-hmm. interest rates, pay back the high interest rate loan. And then, you know, so yeah, it's, it's that constant so it's, cycle. It's, I feel like, I think that's what happened in 2008. Didn't help. Yeah. Like that's no, just, so, so that's what, so that's what Libor, yeah, so so like Libor a, was just essentially, we let yeah. banks pick the rate that they wanted to use to base a lot of, almost to base every loan in the world on. And then it turns yeah. out that uh, they weren't being honest about what it was really costing. And yeah, well, then when I mean, they decided they I mean, were. I don't know how honest the uh, Federal Reserve is going to be. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's probably going to be a little bit more honest, to be honest with you, uh, just because it, it, it's. It'll probably it's be more transparent. Be, and it's not going to be as volatile. For no other reason than they, than they don't specifically have a vested interest in it. Right. They don't have a profit interest as an institution in it being yeah, I mean, one place I, or another. Essentially, what's, what it's going to be, it's like. Just in a personal. Yeah, I mean, I think position. hopefully, you know, if the Federal Reserve does its job, which. What is their job? It does. It does. Yeah. It tries. It does. Their job is to control inflation and unemployment. Yeah. So to keep, um, keep I, unemployment. I, yeah. So unemployment low and inflation What's the description that he used? This, I, I mentioned, Dual purpose I mentioned, of the Fed. Yeah. I mentioned this in, in our little op-ed that we did. So it's to enact the monetary policy needed to help the country achieve maximum employment and price stability, which is a fancy way of saying job market inflation, right? So yeah. that's um, that's the Federal Reserve's job, right? They don't care about whether or not a bank is profitable. They're not supposed to care about markets. They right. do, but they're not supposed to. Of course they well, do. Well, clearly they're, they're, they're personally invested in it, as we've seen. Yeah, as we've seen. But of course they care about markets. I mean, look, look, have you seen what happened in the last six months? Of course they care about markets. They always, oh, yeah. something happens to the bond markets, and then because- the NASDAQ is so correlated nowadays, and it probably has been for a long time, but since I've been paying attention with it, it's it's so the, the bond markets have been so inversely correlated. The bond yields have been so inversely correlated with the NASDAQ. So, of course, they care about the markets because every single time the NASDAQ gets crushed, they have to issue a statement that says, hey, don't crush the NASDAQ. It's, it's it essentially was what it translates to at the end of whatever statement they say. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> speaking of crushing the NASDAQ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking. Of, uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of crushing the Nasdaq, um, yeah. I've crushed my drinks. Well, speak, but, uh, speaking of crushing the Nasdaq, if you want to look, if you want to look great, whether you're crushing the Nasdaq or not, or getting crushed by out. the Nasdaq, or getting crushed by, if you want to get crushed by the Nasdaq and look great while you're doing it, check us <laughs> out at um, what is it? Drunkenomics. God damn it! I always forget. Yeah, Drunkenomics. Yeah, that's that's yeah, exactly check what it is. So. So whether yeah. you're crushing the NASDAQ or getting crushed by the NASDAQ, if you want to check us out at economics.myspreadshop.com, you can grab some pretty sweet merch that you can wear, have up on your wall, oh, uh, yeah. and stay awesome. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, we have hoodies, um, other hoodies. We got some hoodies there. I'm just saying. We got some we hoodies. Got we got hoodies some stickers on your laptop so people know what you're days. about. We got, some, yeah. we got some golf shirts. Yeah. Uh, so you can look like Aaron on, Aaron on the links. Yeah, and shoot 90s. And um, but yeah, uh, we got hoodies for days. If you have too many hoodies, if you already have hoodies for days... And you're just like, dude, I have way too many hoodies. If you're for some reason um, in a place that's too warm yeah, it, for, it, for a hoodie. You're just like, guess what? I didn't get crushed by that NASDAQ. I crushed the NASDAQ. I got some I got some extra disposable income. What should I do with this money? And you you're can help like, the cool you can help the coolest start startup not on NASDAQ. Yeah. You, uh, the you can, the guys at, you, can help, you can help these guys out of Drunkenomics over at patreon.com slash drunkenomics, D-R-U-N-K-E-N-I-M-C-S. So close. Oh, oh, D-R-U-N-K-E-N-O-M-I-C-S. Yeah, there we P-A-T-R-U-N. go. P-A-T-R-U-N.com slash drunkenomics. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of liquidity, we need liquidity too. This is a different type of liquidity. Yeah, we need um, a different type of liquidity. We also sometimes need some liquidity. solidity, but that's but that's ice. Specifically, yeah. we need that kind of illiquidity. Yeah, we need that kind of um, illiquidity, which can be converted into liquidity at some point, depending on how much patience you have, right? So from there, like I said, find us on social media. Uh, if you want to see our really weird Instagram stories, I think they're pretty entertaining. I'm thoroughly, I'm, I'm, I'm entertained. So yeah. 
uh, and our Smart Alec Twitter posts, and of course, yeah, uh, our longer form uh, bloggy style kind longer of writing. A com- longer yeah. form commentary yeah. on. Uh, Find that on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And with that said, all I have to say to you this week is like Joe Burrow played Chestnut Checkers. Yeah. And rest in peace to Lee Bor, like Tom Brady's career. Um, don't brag, just say like the Lee Bor. <laughs> you get it? Oh. <laughs> Uh, and I'm just going to have to say stay drunk and amical, y'all. Yeah, seriously. Stay drunk and amical. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs>